Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. In the mid-90s, only a handful of ska bands actually signed to a major label. One of them, Mojo Records, had Real Big Fish, Goldfinger, and Cherry Pop and Daddies, who were known for their swing songs but also played ska. There was a fourth lesser-known band on Mojo called The Pilfers, who were led by former Toasters lead singer Cooley Ranks and created an interesting blend of ska, rock, dancehall, punk, dub, and hardcore. Cooley called it Ragacore, an interesting style that's held up well decades later. In fact, he's just released his debut solo Ragacore record called Days Gone By. Aaron, did you listen to the Pilfers much back in the day? Yeah, yeah, I listened to them back in the day. They were a solid band. I gotta admit, the Pilfers were one that I missed, and I've gone back recently, and I really dig it. I don't think it hit me at the time how original it was, though. I think that's the thing. Like, I think I saw, I heard it as ska punk, but there's so many elements going on in those records. Yeah, it doesn't hit me the same way that most ska punk from that era does. Rhythmically, it's it's a lot different. Sounds more in line with a lot of the the bands in the UK. I really wish that there were, were more bands that were playing that style of ska punk back in the day. Yeah. Or as uh, he calls it, Raga Core. Raga Core. Yes. We need a Raga Core revival. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't your name given to you um, when you were younger as like a nickname? Yeah. Street stuff, though. <laughs> what was the meaning of it when it was given to you as a nickname? Well, first... Cooley was just like, because I was a cool dude, you know, I wasn't a troublemaker. But then you had the other part of my name, which is Ranks. That means that's like a, a gangster. You know what I mean? Like, that's just basically saying, yeah, that's a gangster right there. And so he's a cool gangster. <laughs> so you were like a, you were like a laid back guy, but you were Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> definitely, definitely capable of defending myself. I wasn't a troublemaker and I, None of those type of titles. But, well, maybe some people might say I was a troublemaker, but I won't say I carried that throughout life. Definitely not. That stopped at a very young age, too. So I was no longer a troublemaker, but definitely. What sort of trouble are you getting into as a kid? <sighs> do you really want to know? Yeah, I do, because I was a troublemaker kid. So I want to know, too. Oh, well, you wasn't a troublemaker like me. I was an extortionist. I used to extort the kids on the block. Oh, okay. How about that? That's pretty bad. Get some Kool-Aid, bro. I'm ready. To, if, if you want to sip on this tea, this tea is toxic. <laughs> <laughs> I I came from England, and um, even before I even knew that I, I had any problems with um, getting a job, <laughs> that's before that. This is like when I was like 12 and 13. 
the kids used to pack bags, you know? And I found out that they used to make like $35 a day, which was like crazy money when you was a child. Oh, yeah. And I, so I had a partner, me and my best friend, we would uh, we would like, extort these kids, you know? Yeah, all of them, all of them, all of them. They, they would pack pack their bags, and on Saturdays when they we made most of the money, so you know we were there to collect our our chips and our fees. How much of a cut were you taking? I would just take like fifteen dollars, you know. Oh, okay, it's a good amount for myself. Yeah, go out and buy some kicks or something, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> it got to the point where it no longer was a it was no longer a robbery. It was protection money. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so I I would protect the kids now. So I was no longer like, I was I changed my role changed. It wasn't like I was robbing. I was providing a service. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and believe me, I earned it because there were other people with the same intentions like myself. So yeah, I, I see where you got your nickname. Yeah, and they <laughs> and, <laughs> and they would come on the block and you know into our neighborhood from out of a different neighborhoods to rob the kids on Saturdays. So I would get like. You know, and I my my house was right down the block from the supermarket. You turn the corner, then there was the supermarket. And um, I would get one kid who escaped the um the you know the the, the holdup. He'd run and come get me to defend, you know, the Packers. So I became that guy. I could have been a teamster. <laughs> 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 you know, so. I would go there and fight these guys and, you know, just make them not come back around our neighborhood again. So my neighborhood was protected. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I Oh, that's the name of my new single. <laughs> 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 I kid you not, but it's in a different, it's in a def, totally different, uh, totally different song. Totally different song, but the song is called Incredible. So we had a Sonic Boom 6 on the podcast last year. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we talked uh we talked a bit about your uh different times you collaborated with them. So I'd love to get your side of this. Okay. Do you remember the first time you met them? All right. So their their manager, their manager is a very good friend of mine. And um he was bringing me over to England to perform and he wanted me to do um a pilfers pilfers pilferess type of a uh show. So they were my backing band at the time. I can't I can't even remember what what year that was. But um so I I was introduced to them playing music as my backup band. And I was pretty worried at the time because I was like, oh, we didn't rehearse, how these guys know my songs. And they were spot on. They they had it. They had it down packed. I was like, whoa, yeah. And I think I was talking I was talking to Barney too. Barney Barney put me at ease too. Cause he gave me the vibe, you know, he gave me, he gave me the yard vibe cause he, he knew certain things. I was like, ah, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, man. Like what? Um, I mean the lingo, you see, there's a, there's a certain lingo that falls with where I, where I come from. Right. There's a lingo. Um, and he knew the lingo. Uh, I was like, good. All right. This brother. Yeah. All right. From he knew what was going on. I knew everyone around him would catch it if he, if they didn't know it already, but he had the lingo. He knew the lingo for, um, reggae and dancehall and you know Jamaican culture. He knew the lingo, so I was like, "Yeah, man, definitely." Gotcha. Definitely, this, I'm safe right here. Because <laughs> 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 you don't know what, what what you know. You might have walked into the classical room as opposed to the raga room. You know, I need <laughs> I need the raga room. 
<laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, sorry. I, I, let me let me go down the hall there. Let me go down the hall. I, I want to knock on the right door, man. I got room. You did um like a pilfer set, or was it a mix of original, like a um, solo stuff? Yeah, it was a pilfer set, and and we did it. We did it. Totally did it. So then, um, on their first full length, you were on the song uh, "All In." Yes. So tell me a little bit about how that came together. And it's Liam again. I was reluctant to do anything. My my first answer normally is no, right? So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like no, and then Liam was like, "Come on, man, come on, man." So I did. I, I don't think I even knew them at this point. I could have known them, but I'm not sure. And I was always in. I'm always in a funk somewhere, especially during this time. I had my house and it was all crazy. So I'm like, no. Liam's like, come on, man. And he knows I can't say no to Liam. I'm like, all right, send me the track. So I hadn't even heard the track. I didn't even know what it was about. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. One, two, three. Found it. Found it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Again, because Barney and I's world are very similar, even though he's in London. You know, he he's on the vibe, man. You know what I mean? They're on the vibe. They're on the vibe. So it was, it was great. Yeah, that's uh, that song's one of my favorite uh, Sonic Boom Six songs. It's just got a, there's just a cool vibe to it, and I love the way I love listening to all three. You know, you Barney and Layla kind of trade off. Yeah, man. With the vocals, it it just it just works really well. It does, man. I I love that song. I was like, oh, and then when I was listening to it, I just I just got transported. Sorry, hey, I'm going with my British accent. I got transported back to uh, England. Since I heard it, I was like, oh yeah. Mind the gap. That's that's a straight English thing. As soon as you get on the tube, you're like, they're telling you, mind the gap. Mind the gap. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, man, mind the gap. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's what it was just in my head. I was transported right back to England. That uh, Pilfers album from 98. I mean, I feel like totally it, it sounds so much like the UK scene like a few years later. Like all those bands, uh, Cap Down, Howard's Alias, uh, Sonic Boom Six, King Prawn, like all sound uh, like they're carrying the same influences the Pilfers did. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you something right now. Yeah, I think what happened was everyone was just on the same wavelength at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was Pilfers that did it. I'm not even. I mean, we could say that in America, but when I went to England, I went to England and I was frequently in England. Mm-hmm. And um, one t- one year I went, we we just um, finished watching uh, Long Beach, the Ball Stars in Irvin Plaza. And they was, they was playing there. And then I, I like the next week or the few days after that, I went to England and they were there. I was like, oh. So again, I'm with my friend Liam and he goes, um, let's go around and go check them out. So we went in the afternoon while they were doing their sound check. And we was talking and he's like, yo, this is cool. And I'm like, yeah, I said I just seen you guys in Irving Plaza like a couple of days ago. I said, oh yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah. When you, when you know, when we get on our set, just come through and do you know, throw some lyrics. I'm like, sure, of course. And my intention is always, I want to see the opening band. Mm-hmm. And I was late. I missed like two bands. I, was, I don't know. And it was, you know, this was, you won't even believe. It's like 15 minutes from my house. Like maybe even 10 minutes from my house. Yeah. Walking. you know walking i could have been there on time to see the bands but i didn't and um but i got to see king prawn yeah and i was blown 
I was losing my mind because I was seeing my band on stage. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. I was like, yo, Liam, Liam, do you see? Now it's very difficult for people that live in England to actually, I mean, I'm going to say the peoples of powers, all right? The the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And and it happens everywhere too. It happens everywhere as artists here, me being here and people being anywhere. So when you're local, as a local artist, people tend to not recognize you in the same esteem as other people do when they come from another country or you go to another country. They witness you as coolie rags. But here I'm just coolie rags. You, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I went over there and I saw King Porn. I was like, oh my God, that's my band. You know, I was like, I, I fell in love with that band immediately. And the steps that I took to meet them and for them to listen to my music was borderline fanatical fan. Yeah. What I, what I, um, okay, so I left, I left London and I came back probably like uh, a month or two later and I met this girl or whatever and she goes, oh, that band you like is playing tonight. I'm like, oh yeah? Again. It's about 15, maybe 20 minutes from my house. I get there. I probably saw one song. I was vexed. But I carried my CD with me this time. And I was like, yo, I like your band, man. Oh, thanks, man. Cheers. Right, cool. <laughs> um, I got, a, I got a CD to give you. Oh, all right, man. I'll, I'll play it. For, I'll play it. All right. All right. And I'm like, yo, man. I want you to make sure you play my CD, man. Just, I, I want you to listen to my CD, man. man. I mean, yo, I want you. He goes, he goes, all right, mate. And I go, yo, 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 make sure you, you play that CD. All right, mate. All right. I'm going to play it. And I was like, got him. <laughs> got him. <laughs> and then, then I think I left my information on there. My information was probably in the CD. He emailed me, right? And he goes, oh, well, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry, man. I said, nah, nah, nah. Trust me, I understood. Because I know what happens when other people give me a CD. It might just get thrown down. I might be, you know, in this in the mind frame to listen to it. But you got to make some kind of a statement why it's so important to listen to your CD or your music. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And I did that. And since that time, we, I mean, listen, I go to England. I chill with them dudes. King Pornens were like, like one of my brothers over there. You know that whole that whole crew over there. I love those dudes, man. Yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. Because I when I heard their sound, I was like, "That's me." Yeah. I mean, I said, "That's me right there." I'm like, "That's that's crazy." So yeah, we we definitely connected on some on some vibes. You know, I forced myself upon them. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, uh, which CD? Which, what was the CD you handed? It's, them? It was the self-titled. <laughs> it was the self-titled. Yeah, I brought it over to them. I was like, "Yo, listen to this, man. You gotta listen to this." And he was like, "All right, bro." <laughs> do you do you remember the venues that you you saw them at? Yeah, yeah, I saw them. I saw them. Um, uh, the locks. That's in that's in Camden Town. That's actually that's that's because I live I live in that area. That's my area where I'm, where I'm from. Okay. And so I just walked through the canal and I was like boom boom boom. Walk through the canal. Walk up the um the um walk through this the um square and the lots was right there. So nothing. Um, the other place was in Camden Town as well. I, I can't remember what that was. Was that one uh, borderline, borderline or uh? It wasn't. It wasn't underworld. It's not underworld. 
it's not underworld so it's probably borderline i'm not sure yeah yeah but it's in camden yeah mm-hmm. do you remember what year that was i can tell you it was 19 well we already had the um first cd right so it's either 98 definitely like a 98 99 yeah coolie i was i was probably at that show <laughs> are you serious yeah i played in link 80 and we i think we opened that show oh <laughs> we're in the same spot dude oh wow look at that small world small world brother you know we're just we're just separated by a few people you know oh for sure yeah lots of mutual friends scott i mean i feel like you know punk rock is a small town and then ska punk is an even smaller town inside of that yeah adam was uh link 80 during the late 90s and early 2000s they went to uh england a lot and played so they he connected with a lot of those bands at that time period. Oh, wicked, wicked, man. That's that was a bless, man. I was just still still hidden, you know. I was still mm-hmm. hidden in, in those times. But you know, we were still kicking up rumpus in New York though. We was doing our thing in America. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, I, but I, you know, I'm I'm always because I'm English, right? So I always go I always go home and it, it wouldn't be like um strange to see me in London at mm-hmm. any given time, not doing a show, just I'm just home. You know, and I would I would do that a lot because you know my mom was over there. I was always going to go see my mom. I always have found it really interesting to like run into people outside of the location you're used to seeing them in. Did you ever run into anybody from New York while you were in London, and they're like, "What are you doing here?" And you're like, "Dude, I'm from here." Yeah, well, that happens all the time. People people wonder why the hell I'm I'm in England. Like, what are you doing <laughs> here? I'm like, dude, I, I well. That's my flat right there. That's that's my that's my apartment where where my mom lives. So, yeah, I'm here. I saw I saw um, Big D one year. Yeah, yeah. And and I went to go see him. Cause I told him I was here. I I ran into <laughs> here's a funny one. I ran into Real Big Fish. Right. Mm-hmm. I ran into Real Big Fish. Um, they were playing Kentish Town, and um, I just happened to be in London, and I was like, Yo, I'm here in London. I, and I met this guy. I met this guy. He was he was a aristocrat that lived on my road, young guy, um, very wealthy. You, he, just, he just you know you just knew he was wealthy and shit. I, I'm gonna go into the whole story, uh, but he was wealthy and and knew it all. You know he knew it all, and he starts showing me around. Um, and we go and we see him. Oh no 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 that's that's another time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, the other time we went to um O2. And I went down there and I performed with him. I actually got to go on the stage and perform. And I think that was the first time I, um, yeah, I think that was the first time I saw the guy from the Skins, Skins, Josh. Mm. I think I saw him there. I know he was, he performed for those guys. But I, I met Josh in a venue one time and I was talking, yeah, man, we got to do more for the home, homegrown. He looked at me like, what's this fucking yank saying? <laughs> 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 What's this fucking Yang saying about the homegrown? I understand the plight, you see. I may not I may not always, you know, speak English full on all the time, but I do. I do speak English. Um my, my English is a little bit different from from most uh youths in the in the hoods of London because I, I didn't grow up in the hoods of London. I grew up in uh, a upper place, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not as cockney as everyone else. My wife has the, the, the beautiful cockney accent. I don't. So she makes up for me. 
Nice. <laughs> she, she does it full on. I just do it partially. <laughs> so uh, before you um, before you joined Toasters, you were doing like dance hall music. Um, I was I was a raga youth. <laughs> I was a raga youth, straight down. So I didn't even speak English. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> I did not. I knew how to do it, but I did not speak English. Yeah, it, it took me. It took me as a um, it took me as a surprise when I was on the stage, and I'm like, "You don't know I'm big up everybody. And I play a really. Buck was like, "Coolie." I'm like, "What?" He said, "Speak English. They don't understand you." I was like, "Oh." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, okay. Oh, that was it. That was the. That was a. That was a. A light that light bulb that just." <laughs> <laughs> the light switch went on and I was no longer that Jamaican dude anymore. I was like, back to my English self, you know? <laughs> what a transformation. You know, when I came back around the hood, I'm like, hey, hey, guys. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like, who is this guy? What? Yo, yo, what happened to you? <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Your song "Roughneck" that kind of was a um, kind of a local hit, or what was this? Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely um, that was my first. Actually, that was my second single. The first single I did was like a lovers rock because you know I, I dabble in the singing and the, and the, and the chatting and the rapping. So this, the the first one was um, "You and Me, Baby." It was a, it was a lovers rock song. I was singing, you know, I'm singing. Nice. I, I, I did a um, what do you say? A version. Yeah, or interpretation. Yeah, it's more of a version of uh, John Waite. That's it, John Waite? That's John somebody or another. This is like something, and I made it into a reggae song. Changed a couple words and gave it to the producer in case he was going to rob me. I didn't know what was going to be the outcome of the, the release of the record, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> I did a cover, so I did a cover song, you know? I normally don't do cover songs, people, so yeah, forgive me. <laughs> You didn't want to give him an original though, and have him rip you off. Nah, 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 not not right away. I gotta see what how the, how the thing goes, and then um yeah, so I did I did the roughneck right, and that was the first first like me rapping, chatting, singing, um song, and it crossed over onto the American radio stations. So that was when um a manager heard me um well she was a manager she owned uh, Irie Jam Irie Ice. Irie, I think it was Irie Ice, Irie Jam, something that was in, it was a record shop in the, in the village at the time. Catherine Tobias, is that her name? That is correct. That is her name. Yeah. Her name is, I think it's Irie Ice, right? Is it Irie, ja- Irie Ice? I don't know that one. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, I think that's the name of her record um, store. And at that time, any call from Manhattan to Brooklyn was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it, it's like the studio got a call. Yo, yo. A manager from Manhattan, man, them want you, man, them want you. 
I'm like, oh, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody in the studio, you know, everybody that knew about it was hype, you know. So we pack up ourselves, we we go down to the city, we go meet her in the um in her record store, and um, she's like, yeah, you know, she gets to meet me, she gets to meet my producer because my producer, as it is in the culture, then it's 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 a team. It's like your producer is like your DJ, mm-hmm. right? Because he's 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 producing all the music and you're just the artist, right? So you know, I let him go ahead and handle the business. And that in that store, I met um, a gentleman that's still my friend to this day. Like we're very close right now. He's one of my best friends, if not my best friend. I have two best friends, but he's definitely up there with arm and arm, left and left on my right arm. Yeah, and I met him in that 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 um, record store at that time. Who's that? Yeah, his name is um, Rob Kenny. He's a writer. He's he's a writer for. He used to be the editor for um fire magazine for about 25 years okay so but i met him in the record store as a dj spinning music and that was our relationship we would we would go out after after all of that we would go out you know partying and he would spin music he'd always invite me to the clubs i'd come to the club with him and it was just like that regular like my underground scene in the village is due to hanging out with robbie so what brought you over from from the UK to New York? Oh, I, well, depending on what day of the week we're gonna say, I was. <laughs> yeah, because it it's, the story changes with the mood. Okay, so today's Monday. So what's the story today? I I um I was rescued. No, yeah, I was rescued from life in England, or it would be I was kidnapped from England and brought mm. to America because there was times you know when I left when I left England. Um. It was against my will. Okay, so who is rescuing slash kidnapping you? My grandmother. Oh, yeah. The, she was the head of the household, and she she ran totally everything. No one could. No one had any talk other than her. What was what was her name? Marion Bedward. That's the Jamaican side of me. And so, so Marion wanted to take you to New York for no, any, no, no, for, no, no, no. no. Marion no. did. Marion did. Well, she, she, took, she did. It wasn't she took, that she, not that she wanted yeah, to. Yeah, she took she you to did. New York. What was what was the reason, though? The reason was because I because I I'm gonna have to backpedal a little. Bit. Okay, sure. Okay, so in my youth, I was in care, and anyone that's from England knows what care is. Care is like foster homes, mm-hmm. right? Foster homes for you know kids that not even sometimes it's kids that are not wanted or unable to be taken care of by their parent. Mm. So I was in care. And so before I even got to care, the government would send out, um, it would send out caseworkers to check on the family, see how the kids are doing and everything. But we, f- we fell into that slot of being, you know, like a poor family and things not absolutely a hundred percent right. So we look on, we look up on these kids and make sure they're okay. We take them out. We give them some type of entertainment and so forth like that. So one of the caseworkers had a friend, and the friend was just there to tag along and to help out her friend. So she came along, and she she stayed in my life. She stayed in my life. Um, and then when I got into care, I called her to come and get us out of care. You know, we we I'm probably like four, five, six, something like this. Mm-hmm. Four, five, six. I'm not even exaggerating. It was, it was I was really young, Very and young. we called her collect. 
and she 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 made it happen that she got us out of care and she became my legal guardian wow. so at a young age i was adopted by this by this woman she was an angel to me um and that's why you'd always see me go back to england because i'm always going back to, i would always go back to see her in in later on you know i used to call her my godmother but the bond was so deep that she became my mother i see so I have a, I still have my biological mother. My mother, my biological mother is alive, but that's who I would say was was my mom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she she became my legal guardian and you know taking care of me and um. She took me out of London, to put me in a better school. Right. So we went around. We, we went to a few schools and had a choice of schools which I wanted to go to. This boarding school I was going to, because she couldn't actually take care of me every single day. You know, because she worked and she was a student as well. So I would come home on the weekends, but I, I spent time in Sussex, which is, you know, it's like another state. So I, I would go to boarding school um, during the week and come home during the weekends. So I was living a very charmed life, as you can imagine. And yeah. and at that time, um, at where I, my school was, it was located, um, one part of the school was a golf course in the front. You would see it, like if you went a few miles down or a few blocks, I'm not sure. But one part was a golf course and the other part behind the um, school, behind the, um, sorry, the, the lodgings was forest with massive pine trees. It was just, it was like, and the, and the, the, um, the school itself was like what you would see on Harry Potter. No just, no lies, like that. It was beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. So when I, sometimes I say rescued and sometimes I say, um, kidnapped, you know, some, I say rescued, <laughs> I say, I say rescued because the life that I could have, I could have led in England could have been detrimental. Mm-hmm. And then I say kidnapped because the life that I was living was fantastic. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, it could have went any way and it depends on any time of the time of the day of how I feel, or what really happened, what really transpired, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one thing is one thing is certain and that is solid that she has always been that rock for me that's great and that i could I, I could never you know trade that in or deny that you know that's always my rock that's i mean <laughs> I, i'll go look i'll go further into stories but yeah she's always been there for me never forgot my birthday even when i was over here mm. yeah deep so the reason for for leap being kidnapped or um uh, rescued is because my, my grandmother at the time didn't want me to um, live with white people. Oh. You know, the, the influence, yeah, yeah. It was, this is in the, we're talking about the 60s. Yeah. So we're talking about, you know, segregation. We're talking about um, Jim Crow. We're talking about um, COINTEL programs. We're talking about can't drink from that fountain, you know, get the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. We're talking about all of that. So she was definitely like not for um, me. And, and in school, I was the only black kid in school. Mm-hmm. So she's she's seeing the whitewashing going down right now in front of her. So she's like, yo, I got to get my, my grandkids out of that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes so, sense. Like, I, I mean, it makes sense, but it depends on how you look at it and where you were Definitely. by yourself at that time. You know, I was, I didn't see, we didn't, I saw, I saw racial um, prejudice um, when I was a kid at that school. But it only happened one day. So like my first day of school, I went there 
and um this this white guy was picking on me and saying some shit about gollywog or whatever he was saying but my god sister went to that school too she's fierce she ran up she just happened to be i don't know how she was there but she was like tall lanky beautiful blonde hair strong and she was like leave my brother alone and that dude was like shitting on himself <laughs> he was like oh and i never had any problems again school was lovely that's great yeah man i i had a i had a very i mean when i went into when i first went into that school right and i'm sorry if i'm dragging on with the school thing because my childhood was just, was beautiful it, it was nothing like when i came to america landed to america was a whole different thing um so there, you know, you go horseback riding, you, you know, you do all these fun activities. You're learning French, you're learning German, you're playing the recorder, you're playing the violin, you're doing eurythmy, you're doing all these activities that, you know, God help us in America that the kids should have to mm -hmm. develop themselves. You know what I mean? It's, it's just not, it's not on a local level, you know, that's more like private school or finishing school, or, you know, something to that effect. But when I was in England, that was just, boom, that was just my life. Yeah. So in England, till, till what age? And then when did you come to? Till, till eight years old. Till eight okay. officially. Um, I returned as an adult. Mm -hmm. I returned as an adult because I just got my green card. I'm skipping, but I, um, my grandmother brought me over here and she died like maybe two years after we got here. Mm. So that plan, which she had, was was diminished that was <laughs> incinerated yeah you know so then we were left here to fend for ourselves without any kind of um legal documents because we were here um on a holiday it's pretty simple back then you could have got your green card but it didn't happen because of the time the time factor yeah so who is who was your um guardian like at that point, because you're like 10 years old at that point. Yeah. So at that time, <laughs> I know I wasn't raising the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> no, at that time. Um, so, all right. So let me, let me backpack pedal a little bit as well, too. So this, the reason for us um, being in care and all that other stuff, my grandfather, who was um, a huge influence on me, too. He was Jamaican. Huge influence. He left with my other brother and went to Jamaica, then went back, then went to America. So when my grandmother died, my grandfather was there. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how we were in New York. And we, we owned a house, you know, we owned, we owned a four family house and we, you know, we had, we had places to put me. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where, in, where in New York was that house? That house was in Brooklyn. It was in um, Brownsville. Okay. Um, at the time, it was called East Flatbush, but the border, the um, zip codes and, and the zoning laws changed. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you if you went across the street onto Linden Boulevard, that was Canarsie, hmm. right? If you went to the left of you, that was Brownsville. Then, if you went, um, so yeah, it was like the triangle: Canarsie, Brownsville, Flatbush, and that was all just like. If you went around the block, like real close together, every everything's just smashed up next to each other. Yeah, everything was really close together. Yeah, I feel like any any Californian that tries to come to New York and find their way around, it's impossible. 
<laughs> no, we get so it. lost so fast. No, no, no. You could do it, man. You could do it. Um, I've been there so many times. I'm always like, where am I? No, no. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> but the easiest place to be found and to find your place is England. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have all of these great things. <laughs> like when I went back to England for the first time, you know, I'm trying to meet these chicks or whatever. I'm trying to hook up where they at. My mom's, I was like, I was like, yo, I don't know how to get to this. He says, go get the A to Z. I'm like, what? The A to Z is a book. It's a map. It tells you every street, corner, road, crescent, terrace, everything. And there's a maps to get you to wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go. You'll never get lost. On the tube, on the tube it announces what stop, what, what line, what are the... Mm-hmm. America's getting that now because they have the guy that did that in England. Well, sorry, New York is getting it now yeah. because we have the guy that did it in England. He's 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 fashioning New York after the the tube stations mm-hmm. and the tube system in England for us in New York right now. He's yeah, down the, to the metro cars. The tube system and the and the train system in in the UK is wild because there would be kids, little like 15, 16 year old kids, yeah, that would show up at like a string of shows, like many many miles apart. And it was just because, like, they're like, "Yeah, we just took the train." Yeah, no, no big deal. And we, I, that was, I was blown away. We played. We we did like a thirteen day tour, thirteen mm-hmm. country day in thirteen, thirteen. Yeah, thirteen countries in thirteen days. It was wow. mad. Yeah, it was mad, and there's no time to enjoy. But what I did was, I just said, "Okay, cool. This tour's over. I'm staying." <laughs> <laughs> Everybody had to go home. I'm like, yeah, I'm staying. I'm not going. I'm not, yeah, I'm home. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I mean, even when it went down to the air, um, hotels and stuff, I just they just dropped me off at my house. I was like, oh, who lives here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cooley lives here. What? Cooley lives here? Like, yeah, Cooley lives here. See you guys later. <laughs> so, so in New York, um, when, when does music come into the come into play? When do you take an interest in performing music? Performing. I never really wanted to perform. Performance was wasn't my thing. I just wanted to do music. Um, I heard a I heard a song, and I just I just wanted to imitate that song. What song was that? It was I never know the name of the damn song, but I could take I could sing it. I don't know the name of it. Let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Go. <laughs> Girl, I like your style. I like all your kiss and I like all your caress. I even love the way you rub the air up on my chest. Girl, I love your style. That's it. That's all I can remember. But when I heard that, I was like, yo, that's my song. Like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> and then they, a DJ part came on. It was like, yo, rah, 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 rah. Then I was like, yeah, I want to do that too. So I just I just learned both of them, man. I learned both parts, you know? I, I was telling my, my, um, <clears throat> my godson like five minutes ago, his father was my best friend at the time before he got killed. And um, I was telling him, yo, your father used to call me Foolie Ranks. Because <laughs> I was whack, right? <laughs> I, was just, I, was, I mean, I just got off the phone with him like not more than 15 minutes ago before starting, starting that um, podcast. I was like, yeah, your pops used to call me Foolie Ranks. And then one day I kind of duffed from him for a bit, you know? And then I went and I started practicing and and then, you know, I moved to a new place and he came to the new place, had my sound system out. And I just spit some bars from him. He was like, oh, oh, damn. oh. 
I said, yeah, no more fully ranks now, right? Hey. Yeah, man. He said, yeah, man, you sound good, man. Like, cool, cool. So you kind of have this unexpected twist where um, Roughneck has success. Catherine is um, seeking you out as a potential client, but she talks you into auditioning for the toasters, right? That's It was from her? Yeah. She dared me. She totally, like, dared me. She dared me because, you know, with with Jamaican music, right? There's there's a thing when when you're on sound system. Let me let me go to sound system because that's my foundation. So when you when you're performing on a sound system, you cannot like you cannot say like, oh, give me that rhythm, oh, that's my favorite rhythm. It's just like any rhythm. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the motto. Any rhythm. So when it, any track comes on, you got to be prepared to do that. So that's the same mentality that you do when you when you're going into the ska thing and this is how she dared me she was like well you said you could do any rhythm see that's that's that that's the braggadocious side of the jamaican music gets you into trouble you know get yeah man any rhythm man i'm telling you any rhythm i can't do any rhythm so she was like oh you said any rhythm (laughs) you said any rhythm i was like (laughs) you know what i mean i was like i was like yeah but um you said i said okay 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 you gotta be a man of your word you gotta stand by your word so so I'm I like I said, let me listen to it. And I heard it. I was like, God damn. I don't know about this. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about this. All right, let me let me let me see if I can hear some reggae in it. And I think I, I heard one Calypso song. <clears throat> it was getting closer. And then <clears throat> I heard Run Rudy Rum. I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And then I heard Throw Me Up. And I was like, okay. I'm gonna learn these songs right here. I hear the reggae in it, so let me go ahead. I did the audition, smashed it, and we were out doing shows not too long after that. You did a European tour with them, right? That was like what happened. Yeah. Yes, I did. I did it, but before the European tour, we did we did some shows. Yeah, I think we were supposed to go to England, and we did some shows. But before going to before going to the European tour, we did some local shows. Ah. And this was to get me acclimated to what I was gonna experience. And God knows I was terrified. I mean, the audience was punk rock, right? And I don't mean pretty punk rock right now. Yeah. I mean, tug, <laughs> tug, grimy, <laughs> multiple colors, and yo, <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about Lower East Side, New York, brother. Yeah, was not a nice place. And I was like, oh my God. All I could imagine and think about was the movie The Warriors. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, I'm like, oh, damn, yeah, they hit, this is it." I was like, "I'm in the Warriors camp right now." Where were those shows at? Oh, there was in dingy places on on Second Second Avenue, Avenue B, Avenue C. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we played I mean, we played nicer places after my my um, initiations. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but I want to know about the initiations. Were, were these like squat shows? No, they weren't. They, I don't, I, you see, I don't know what squats were at that time. So sure, they were pretty. It was just, it was just frightening for me because, first of all, I'm out of my element. I'm out of my comfort zone. Remember, my whole world up until that point was completely black. Yeah. So any any time I walk in there, you know, I know what it is. I know how to suss the room. But here I am, I got dudes with spikes on their arms, spikes on their belt, spikes on their coat, hair up in mohawks. And and it's, it wasn't this, you know, it's not the it's not the college bouncy thing that was going on in there. You felt you felt tension in there. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't. I mean, I I, I found a twenty two gun in there. Oh Jesus! This is, not, this, is this is this is this is this is this is not candy, apple, and popcorn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This, this was some real. This was some real rough times in those times. I mean, these dudes was packing. You know what I mean? This is what they had. Wait. So wait, Cooley, where did you find the gun? <laughs> well, I didn't find it. I uh, to be honest, let's let's let me give credit where credit is due. Okay. The, the drummer found it. The drummer of the Tosas found it, and he was very pissed off that he found a weapon. Me, on the other hand, I was excited because you know that's <laughs> I'm from the hood. Yeah. You know, what I mean? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I said, where is it? He said, man, I, he was disgusted. It seemed like it seemed like it was a tampon or something. He's like, ah. I threw it in it. I threw it in the in the in the can. You know, he's like. He threw it in the garbage. I I I went dumpster diving, man. I found that thing and I brought it back to the hood. I was like, yo, I got this thing right here. He said, How much you want for? I said, like $70. He's like, all right, let me see if you're going to boat. And he said, he shot he shot it right there, right? He just shot it, boat. I was like, oh shit. And he said, Yeah, man, it good, man. And he gave me the $70. I was good. <laughs> Thank you, Toasters. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, again, the name of my song is coming out on April the 1st. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so let's sidestep really quick. What's the song Incredible about? Incredible is a, about us as human beings. Mm. Um, if we found, if we found um, the ability to love one another, like, like truly love one another and um, stop all of these barriers that we put uh, and labels on each other that we put, and stop, you know, stop that. We could be incredible, mm. like as as a as a human race, not just one, you know, one saying no, I'm this race. I'm, I'm just like as the human race. If we could come together, we could be incredible. Yeah, yeah. I just I just think we could if we could if we could get to that point. I think so too. Just people got to stop trying to put up barriers between each other. It weighs heavy on my heart, so I, I write songs like that. Yeah. It weighs heavy on me. It's like, damn, if we could just, we could be incredible. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How'd people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So you did this tour and then you you stopped being in the toasters for like two years, right? Yes, I, I because there was no money in it. <laughs> like, like I, I just had a son, you know. I just had a kid, and um, I had I, I had responsibilities. <laughs> like, sure, like twenty five dollars yeah. twenty five dollars a show was not making it. Yeah, you know, it was like it was stuff. It was like that, and then on top of that, the manager when when I got off the tour, the, the manager wanted um, I think he said twenty five percent of my earnings, which was like five dollars or something. Yeah. Or I don't know what I don't know what it was, but it was it was far too much for me to part with. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, you know what? This is ain't this ain't happening. I'm like, no manager, no band. I'm out of this thing. Because the the agreement was, I do this tour because you thought I needed stage experience, whatever. I've been doing it for a minute, and then we go back to your your um dance hall career. I was like, All right, never happened. 
you know, because I was like, ugh. It's not, I mean, she was a good manager too. I'm not going to lie. She brought me to an industry party and I met Red Alert and I met these, these are the, the DJs of the time, Just Eyes from, from Boogie Down Productions. I mean, she, she, she was bringing me into the circle where these, where the, where it's, where it's happening. But, um, yeah, I often wonder what would, ha- what would have happened if I didn't join the Toasters. Yeah. Cause then, so then you ran into the, um, Toasters drummer's girlfriend, right? Yep. It's, it's all about that drummer. Yeah. And she <laughs> she convinced you to go see them play that night. She didn't really convince me, you know. I pretended. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, you can't be so eager, man. You can't show all your cards. Yeah. So when I when I saw her, it was very interesting to find out that the drummer had returned to the band because he left also at a later date, and he returned and she said, "Oh, they're playing." I said, "No." She first she said, "Oh, Jonathan's back in the band." I said, "Oh, Jonathan, yes, that's great." She said, yeah, they're playing in New York. You should go and see them. I said, really? But I had already done my affirmations and, and my meditations, and I and I already sussed that one was the happiest time in my life, and that was being in the toasters, regardless of the money or the money wasn't there. It's just the fact of doing music and being a musician and being an artist, which, you know, I love to do. The money is, the, is, is a product of, um, you know, being an artist or whatever, but the real thing is you just want to be an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, you just want to sing and you want to do what you do. So when when she said that, I was like, oh. So the affirmation had come right, you know, it manifests right in front of me. So it wasn't really she convinced me. I was like, oh, I pretended as I, as I was, you know, <laughs> I was not interested. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. my affirmations had just come through. And I was like, wow, look at that. And um, I went to go see them in this venue. And Buck was at the, oh, it was, the place was called Canal Club. And Buck was on the stage, and there was a gentleman on the stage doing what I was doing. And Buck's attention was all on me. You know, Buck was just like, oh, Cooley. Oh, Cooley, do you remember when we played here? Oh, when we played here? I'm like, yeah. And I had my I had one of my street dudes with me, you know, one of my my mans with me. He was like, what's going on? Like, yeah. It wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a place where he goes. You know, it's not. It's not a club where we go hang out in. But it was. It was. You know, the world that I had come from, and I was familiar with the world. So I brought him down. I wanted to let him hang out and see something different. So yeah, Buck was there. Like, yo, cool. You know, and then he invited me out. You know, to link up and um, talk about things. Again, I was praying very hard to get him reluctant. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know, Buck. Uh, yeah, okay. He said, yeah, I want to I wanna call you. Give me your number. I said, yo, Jonathan has my number. He's like, no, give me your number. I was like, all right, all right, Buck. All right. He said, listen, let's let's do lunch. Let's do lunch sometime this week. Uh, uh, yeah. He said, yeah, we can, we can go for a drink. We can we can, we can can um meet up at Blanche's. That's where the hot spot where they used to go hang out and drink. And the lower you sign, I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll come, come, come through. Reluctantly, again, I'm pretending. And uh, <laughs> he says, yo, we're doing this tour and da 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 da. I said, nah, Buck. <clears throat> nope. Nope. Sorry, Buck. So, you know, you can't, the offer is it. I don't play poker. I've never played the game poker, but I understand the, um, the premise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 you can't give away what you really have you're holding you know what i mean yeah you can't give away your eagerness to say yeah i really i, I really want to go and talk with you guys because then your pay would be like 50 dollars. step up from 25 
I was like, nah, Buck, I'm good. He's like, no, we're going to go here. We're going to go here. And we're going to go. Oh, we're going to go to Hawaii. I said, Hawaii? <laughs> oh. I said, now, you know, now he's talking my language. He's yeah. not talking money. He didn't even talk money. He did not talk money at all. He said, he said yeah, we're going to go to Hawaii. I said, Hawaii, that sounds nice. Because after being here in America and not being able to travel, right, um, traveling is one of my biggest things. I, I enjoy traveling a lot. I'm just going to different places and seeing the world. And um, when he said Hawaii, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fire just lit up. Like, that's it. I'm going. And he had no idea I really wanted to be in the band. So now you know, Buck. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Okay, so two things. One, your Buck impression, incredible. <laughs> <laughs> two, what happened to the guy that, that had been doing your part when you weren't there? Mm -hmm. yeah. Who had to kick him out? I'm trying to be nice, bro. Uh... <laughs> All right, we can leave it alone. <laughs> it's like um you ever see um what is it called twist couple what is it called the odd couple mm -hmm. right you ever see the odd couple yeah he was asked to leave <laughs> <laughs> you know that's what that's what happened <laughs> excuse me bro. I, I appreciate you i appreciate you giving up your seat but but he wasn't up he was upset anyway i, I think he was he wanted to leave as well okay i mean it, it it gets it because he said, yo, because he said to me, he's like, yo, brother, you better watch out for this guy. You know? mm -hmm. they, they wanted me like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, I know all of this. I know what's going on. Yeah. The thing, the thing with being in, in a, an established company already, especially you as a front person, um, you have to be willing to be a soldier. Mm -hmm. You may have the personality as a general, but you got to be willing to be a soldier. And just follow orders. Yeah. And then the outfit works. But if you have tendencies of being a general and you feel like your your command is not as you would do it, you know, then you should leave and go start something on your own. Mm -hmm. But don't go into establishment with your general mentality. Mentality. Just go in there with some humble pie and just do what you do. And just be It'll a soldier. Yeah, man, just be a soldier. Pretty early on uh, in you joining the band, uh, was that uh, the Scott Vuvi tour? That was the Scott Vuvi tour. Okay, so this is um, Special Beat, The Selector, yep. uh, Toasters, obviously. Scott, All the heavy hitters. Scott Alliance, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and Meth. Meth. Meth was on, on some shows in New York. Yeah, and, and a lot of uh, bigger rooms too, right? Yeah, big rooms, big rooms too. I'm going to say it was the biggest tour that I had organized tour that I had been on. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, they had buses. <laughs> we weren't in our Ford 350 driving. Yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had bunks to sleep on overnight as we were doing. It was, it was fabulous. So that must have been pretty validating uh, to you that you made uh, the right decision. No, 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 no. It wasn't. I didn't need validation. I'll be honest with you. It, it wasn't about validation for me. Again, let me see how I can say. It. I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. It's, it's, it's pre pre toasters. Before I joined the toasters, this in the, this is in the same year. I went to England and I performed with my heroes. I, I performed with with a sound system 
to me that was the greatest in the world and to a lot of my friends was the greatest in the world and i had been the saxon sound system yeah the saxon sound system yeah I, i've been listening to them. i was listening to them since i was in high school right and my wife brought them to my house and you know i used to have this big head not that it's that much bigger now but i had a bigger head when i was a kid <laughs> right and i thought i was the best in the world because I would listen to all these lyrics and what I was doing, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm great. But I was still in my Jamaican mode. Everything about me was Jamaican at that time. And that was my mindset. And I was just doing it. I thought I was doing it better than them. My wife comes to my house and, you know, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was just my girlfriend. And, well, she'll say friend. She won't say girlfriend, but I'll say girlfriend. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> These are, these are the complications. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she even wrote down in my my um, yearbook. Yeah, I know you like me and you wanted it to be more, but it's not. <laughs> like, goddamn, like, you, wanna, you know, you want to show off your damn yearbook, and that's what you get anyway. No, another story. And um, so she she brings out this cassette of what's going on in England. As I said, I met my wife at fourteen, and. She came over for a holiday. She went back. And when she did come back, she brought this music with her, right? And she brought the MCs that was going on in England. I didn't even know England was listening to reggae music like that because I didn't know what England was like. I hadn't even been on a plane. I was still here in America. Couldn't do couldn't, no connection to England. But my mom and I couldn't go back at that time. What were the, who were the MCs that uh, she was showing you at the time? Uh, tip, she showed me Tipper Irie, Daddy Rusty. Papa Levi, Senior Sandy, um, who else did I got? Asha Sanita, uh, um, Smiley Culture. Yeah, these these were the guys at the time. Those those were the MCs that I knew about at that time. And these guys, they were articulate. Their vocabulary was crazy. I was like, oh my God, I'm not even trying because I was still saying nursery rhymes. You know, I was like, this, I am definitely not the best. <laughs> I was humbled. I was humbled, like, seriously. So, you know, I, after hearing them, I made it my point to step up my vocab and to write better lyrics and to be original because that's one thing that these guys stress. They was always original. Everything they did was from them. It wasn't something that you heard before. It's all fresh. All of the MCs had their own style and at any given time and just switch up to something else and it was it was just unique best in best in the world mcs and the music that they played best in the world hands down so before meeting the toasters i actually got to sing with these dudes i i had just left england when i met the toasters and, and came back to england in a different so january january it was january the first i believe I was I was singing on that sound system and my dreams had been met. So I was good. I could have died and been happy. Yeah, I see. So when coming back and doing all these 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 um special B and scatter, I didn't even know who these guys were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know who these guys were. I knew Selector because of my girlfriend. My girlfriend at the time, she told me about Selector and I heard she played their music for me. I was like, damn. I mean, this is after the tour was announced that we're doing it. And she found out that I was playing and she played me their music. I was like, oh my God, she's bad. I heard on my radio. Yeah. On my radio. 
I was like, oh my radio. I was like, oh my god, this is fire. You didn't you didn't know Scottalites though? That's wild. I know, slap me five times. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that wasn't my world. That wasn't my world. My yeah. world was all dance hall and reggae music, you know. What I mean, that was that was my thing, sound system. You know, I, I tell you, do you know stereograph? You know stereograph, you know jalo, you know tikka music? No, right? Nah. And there you go. I'm just saying that my whole world was sound system. So going on this, going on the tour, the Scavuvi tour, it was like, uh, I was more excited to go to um, Hawaii. Sure, yeah. (laughs) You know, so I didn't know who all these guys were. I met, I met Neville. I met Neville Staples on that tour. Yeah. And he and I was just cool because he was Jamaican. Yeah. So I didn't, it wasn't until I went to visit Neville. I went to England. I was in England one time and I went to go visit Neville. And, you know, I always hear people, you know, like fanning over the specials and everything. I never really got it. You know, I never, I never got it because I didn't know. Again, it's not my world. I went to see Neville and the first place he took me was this museum. And it was about him. I was like, Oh my God, you got your own museum. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yo, what? I was like, yo, yo, never. Because <laughs> he still, he, I, I'm sure he didn't grasp, I mean, I'm sure he, he grasped that I didn't understand who he was. You know what I mean? <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> and I really did not. I swear, I did. I had no idea. No idea this dude was a real icon, icon living. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, sure. yo, this is crazy. You know, he come to my house too, you know what I'm saying? And chill. At my house, I'm like, this is crazy. I, I was like, yo, you got your own museum? <laughs> <laughs> I want to move forward just a little bit. You're in the sure. toasters for a couple of years. You're on, I think you're you're on Dub 56 and Hard Band yeah. for Dead, right? Those are the two studio albums you're on? Yes, those are the two, the two studio albums, yeah. What leads to your decision to um, start the Pilfers? Which, if I'm understanding right, it was a collaboration or vision between you and Vinnie Noble? Well, here, here's how it really happened. Here's how it really happened. Um, there was crazy stuff happening in that band. At that time, at that time, we um, Scott was on, it was so hot. Yeah. So, so hot. Um, and you remember, I told you I, had, I used to have a big head, right? Sure. <laughs> right, right. So my, my ego was, my ego was huge. But after meeting those guys in England, who I told you, I idolized these guys and they was the best in the world. They were so humble. They were like lambs. And I just witnessed their attitude and how they really was acting. And I was like, oh my God, I have no right. I have no right to be an asshole and think I'm the shit. I have no right. I, I, my, my ego was deflated. I threw it away. I let it go. And I didn't bring it back. Hmm. So here I am with the Tosas and everything's going great. There's a lot of hype around us and, you know, we're selling our shows and all of this stuff. <clears throat> Still no ego. Because I, I, again, I told you, I just, I, I was hanging out here with these real people who are stars in my world. And they're just like, like humble lions, you know, humble, humble guys, humble cats. So I couldn't, I couldn't be that person anymore and I couldn't stomach the egos so there was a lot of ego 
things going on. And, you know, even when you're talking to people, I'm like, yo, dude, just chill, man. Just chill. Just mm-hmm. take it easy. And, and then they're, they're not hearing that. They're just basking in the glory. You know what I mean? They're basking in the fame. Yeah. I, I had to depart, man. It was it was that and other financial things, too. Financial things is going on. Um, my, my nieces and my nephews, they ran away and they came to stay with Uncle Cooley. And I'm like, damn, Uncle Cooney only lives in a studio, a junior one bedroom. I can't really, um, <laughs> I can't really uh, facilitate this uh, this demand here. You know, I, I I gotta make some more money. So we had spoken about a, a raise in it, and um, and that day, I mean, I think he just bought some million dollar home and this and that, a new car and all of this stuff. And I was like, yo, I just need a raise, and it wasn't forthcoming. You know. I'm like I really, I really didn't need it. You know, I really needed it. But so I, I, I said, you know what, Buck, I'm, I'm leaving. And normally, I, I've, I've kicked up rumpus before. Like I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm come out of here. And then you know, something happens, and I just wouldn't leave. But this time I was calm. I was like, yo, Buck, I'm out of here. No fuss, no, no, big screaming and everything. Yo, Buck, this is my last show. And that's it. So I, I, I left the Tosis and, and um when I when I left, you know, I got a lot of calls from from, from friends, you know. And one of the calls definitely put me in, uh, on a path to start a band. And that was um Steve Jackson from the Pie Tasters. You know, he's like, you know, I was there depressed thinking I need to um call Buck. <laughs> like, yo, Buck, I made a mistake, <laughs> you know, because the fear sets in, you know, you don't, you don't know how to deal with the unknown. And I'm like, oh, my God, I think I, I think I need to call Buck. So I get a call from Steve and Steve just lit a fire under my ass. He's like, I was like, yo, yo, Steve, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. He's like, what? You know what you're going to do? You're going to start a fucking band. That's what you're going to do. I was like, start a band? He's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> he amped me up to the point that I thought I could start a band. So I went running around um, paying musicians who were not even ska musicians. <laughs> they had no clue what ska was, you know? I said, yo, do you know what ska is? He goes, yeah, yeah, I know how to play it. I bring this dude and he starts playing some disco beat. I'm like, yo, that's not ska. That's not ska, man. <laughs> this time he already took my money, right? He took my money. I was paying for rehearsals. Not just the space, right? Like the individuals. You come in, you get fifty dollars. You know what I mean? You was getting paid, but I thought that's how you did it. <laughs> what did I know? <laughs> I was like, "Yo, Steve, man, this thing is too expensive, man. I can't keep up. I can't afford to keep on paying these dudes, man." He said, "What?" He said, "You're paying them?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm, I'm paying them for." He says, "You don't pay them, man. What's wrong with you? You're coolie ranks." <laughs> like that meant something. I was like, does that mean something? He says, no, you don't pay them, man. You don't pay them. You pay for the rehearsals, but you don't pay them. I was like, all right, all right, all right. So that stopped. And then um, um, I had to get myself organized. I really wasn't organized. I wanted to do something, but I really wasn't organized. And, you know, as, as um, divine intervention happens, I met this young lady, and she told me how to set up my, my um, contacts in my phone. Rather than just, um, oh, this is Aaron Aaron on the phone. Oh, well, this is Aaron from the, the Defense of Scar. So you now you have a title. I know what exactly what you do. Yeah. As opposed to, I've, I've had my file effects and I had all these names, but I never had what they do. They were just my friends. So then she told me to go into your file effects and put what everyone does in there. Then you have 
access to what you need right in your phone book. I was like, holy crap. She's amazing. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, that's you know, it may be it may be common knowledge to everyone else, but that was just like a revelation, revolution revelation to me. Sure. And, um so then that's what I did and I just started making phone calls. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I started she she actually got me James, my drummer. She said she because she was also an artist, she said she auditioned him, but it wasn't for her. But the thing was, she's a soul singer. Mm-hmm. Scott, um, James could play everything that I needed him to play. But what she wanted him to play, he didn't fit that 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 um that group. So when I got James, I said, you know, I, I met him and I was like, yo, I set up a rehearsal to meet him. Well, he actually he had a space. He, he used to use King Django's space. So he would rehearse down there. And I said, yo, look, play me, play me a ska beat, play that. So play me a reggae beat, play that. Play me a spring beat, play that. I said, you're hired. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm going to go drink some tea with this young lady right here because she's not feeling too well. So I'm going to go sit down with her and drink some tea. That's what, that's what we did. And I was like, that's it. Got him right away. And, I, and then um, I think uh, with everyone else, it was, and he said, oh, I got a bass player for you. I'm like, all right, cool. Didn't tell me it was a female or anything like that. He just said he got a bass player that he's really, I mean, they're really good. I'm like, all right, cool. I guess he wanted to spring it on me. And then um, Anna came. All right, cool. Um, we got another guitar player. We put an ad in the paper and we got a guitar player and he was playing. He was brilliant, brilliant. And all right, so I'm like, here, I'm, I'm going to play this song for you. He was playing it in the background while he was tuning up. He's like, I'm going to play this song for you. And then, um, you know, you, you see if you learn it. He says, oh, I got it already. I said, what? I said, no, no. Yeah, I got it already. I heard it. I heard it already. Played shits up in the air for Baden. Boom, 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 boom. I was like, yo, this guy is hired. <laughs> hired. <laughs> what, what, was, what was the song you played in? Shits up in the air. Shits up in the air. There, there was, so, Pilfers had a few, um, few different arrangements, a few different musicians, right? Before mm-hmm. we actually became the group. Um, I started off with a, a horn section, right? A horn section, um, different uh, guitar player. Um, before I even brought to the band, I went down to uh, Boston where Vinny lived because that's how we actually connected. Um, his girlfriend was my ex-girlfriend. She says, yo, um, he wants to talk to you or whatever. He says, yo, man, if you need some help doing your demo, come down here and, you know, I'll help you with your demo. And I was like, all right. And she she came back on the phone. She was like, yeah, he don't think you can sing, though. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Because, you know, he, he, he hears me live. He heard me live with the toasters. And he he wasn't really paying attention to me. And when I was, you know, I was, you know, probably just doing the um the chatting part to uh, whatever song was going on, you know. So he only heard that. And he, he never spoke to me all the time we would play. Never spoke. Never, never said a word. Um, went down there, sang a couple of songs and sang, you know, not just chat. I sang some songs. And then he called me up um, a little bit after that. He goes, yo, um, so I'm leaving BIM. I said, oh, I hear you. He goes, yeah, and um, I'm thinking of moving to New York City. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, New York City, leaving BIM. I left the toasters. What you saying? <laughs> 
<laughs> what you saying, man? <laughs> I said, what you saying? He's like, yeah, yeah. Let's wait, wait, wait. Let's see what you can do. Let's see what you can put together. So then I put together these guys. Then James and Anna came. And um, when I left, I left after you got that nice, great bass player. I mean, guitar player. I went back to England, you know, because again, I'm always in England. And um, I came back. The guy was gone, and a new guitarist was there. I said, "What the fuck is going on? Where's the other guy?" Oh no, he he didn't work out. We got <laughs> this guy here. I said, what do you mean he didn't work out? So yeah, we we switched it up, and then we got Nick. It's a yeah, it's a great, 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 great combination. We 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 put together the band, and we pl- played. Um, Within two weeks after really forming the band, two weeks was our first show when we had a set. Oh wow! Open for the Philippines, yeah, it was. Dude, we made money. We took some money and we went and made um, cassettes. Nice to sell. We made enough cassettes and we sold enough cassettes to have half of the money for our first self-titled. That's with shirts. I mean, it was over a time period, right? So we did shirts. Stickers, buttons, patches, all those one dollar items, and we made enough to make a CD. Then we was um fortunate enough to get um a loan from a venue owner. You know, we played we played his spot, and he was like, "Yo, so when you guys gonna come out with a CD?" I was like, "Yo, you know, um, we're almost there. You know, we got half of the money now, but you you know need like two thousand dollars." He goes, "I'll give it to you." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. What what venue was that? That was the Marlin in um no probably sorry sorry it was the Catch in um in uh, uh Tom's River in, in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. So for what he did for I'll tell you what he did when I t- I called him up and I said yo yo John we I got a new band. He's go yeah it's your band I was like yeah yeah it's my band. He goes all right. You know, he says, well, I can't let you play right now. It was winter time. He says, what, you, what I want you to do is I want you to come to the Marlin. I was his, he owned a, he owned a, um, a nightclub and he owned a restaurant separate from each other, right? So he says, come to the Marlin. That was his restaurant. And he had me, he had us perform for the staff. <laughs> <laughs> he paid us though, but he had us. It was like our audition. That was our audition, right? Mm-hmm. So we played for the staff, and they loved it. And he was like, "Okay, okay." So then he started bringing us to the main club. We pulled us to the main club, and we started performing out there. Good, good vibe. And um, he said, "All right, so I'll lend you this money, and you just pay me back, okay?" Thank you, John, John Batista. So we took that money and we finished the record, Tin Pan Alley, and we finished it. We finished the record, man. Yeah, it was great. Right back after this. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423 667 7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So Adam mentioned this earlier in the interview. Um, the 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 influences of the Pilfers, the two CDs, um, yeah. very eclectic, and I think it kind of stands on its own. You know, in that time period, these 
different kind of influences that you're putting into the songs. Um, now, I think like a good example of that is um, so. You, so you when you were in the toasters, you wrote or brought in the song "Legal Shot," right? Yeah, yeah. And then you you redid that for Pilfers. Yeah. Now you listen to the Pilfers version. It's like like I like the Toasters version, but the Pilfers version is way more interesting musically. Like you have, you know, like I think it's more indicative of like kind of what you guys are doing. Like it was like the Toasters was a little more straightforward, a little more pop, but uh, Pilfers has all this other stuff in there too. <laughs> it's the it's the influence of I would say it's not just myself cuz like, yeah, I'm the I'm the reggae guy. I'm I'm definitely the dancehall guy. Um, when I when I when I play ska, like see, I, I'm gonna a different even a different one from that. I would turn my dancehall songs into ska songs. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you hear, if I don't know how much of the songs you know, but if you've ever heard "Show No Fear," right? Yeah, that's a dancehall song. I just I just flipped it. I just you see, um, and you see the um the rhythm of my voice. You're gonna be bigger, better. I, 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 that was a dancehall song and I manipulated the, the bass line, which, you know, is the heart of dancehall. I manipulated the bass line to the rhythm of, um, my singing. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I was, I was, um, not just a singer in, in dancehall. I was what was called a uh, sing J, which is the combination of singing and DJing or singing and rapping. So. It's, it's rhythmic. It's as rhythmic as a rapper. I mean, yeah, it's as rhythmic as a rapper, but melodic as a singer. Mm -hmm. So those those elements, I would put them inside the songs. That's how you get some of those those crazy rhythms and stuff. And then, so I guess you must have the elements of the other members' stuff too, right? The, yeah, exactly. What they're bringing to the table, yeah. Exactly. See, now Nick, Nick is a punk rock, straight up. Nick is a punk rock. So... When you hear, um, like, I don't know if you heard, you heard Chihuahua Wen, right? Chihuahua Lane? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Great and record. you've heard, yeah. You, have you heard um, Mr. Exploiter? Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, right, so that was a fast song. That was, that was he, he played the riff for me. I said, yo, 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 yo. <laughs> you got to slow this down. That's like, slow it down, brother. Slow it down. Slow it, slow it, slow it down. Same thing with with um Ling, the title song. Like I'm just like slow slow the riff down, bro. Slow it down. Come on, you know, because I'm not gonna chase the track. I'm like, because he's he's straight punk rock, and that's how, you know he's got it. I'm like, yo, easy, easy, easy. So we slow it down, and it becomes a reggae track. <laughs> it becomes our reggae track. It's like heavy, heavy with the riff, and then throw the horn line on top of it. And I gotta shout out my girl, my ex girl, for that. She told me to do that. He's like, well, you can't. I played the I played the um Mr. Exploiter first, and she was like, Yeah, but you gotta put the horn on top of that. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, okay. So yo, Vinny, I need you to just blow on top of this part right here. And he goes, Yeah, 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 yeah. And that became our signature, you know, Vinny blowing over the heavy riffs. Vinny, um, and you can hear his work obviously in the uh, Bim Scala Bim catalog, but mm -hmm. Very, um, very good and very unique trombone player, I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say so too. So you you wrote the song um, "Generation." Mm. I'd love to. I'd love to hear about 
what inspired this song because you also did you released a video like in 2015 yeah finally <laughs> i mean yeah so can you talk a little bit about this song and where it came from you know when you wrote it in in the mid 90s uh all right so my thought pattern i was like oh we could use this for a pepsi commercial <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, next generation. Yeah, you know, that was the ad that you'd see Pepsi, right? Yeah. I was like, yeah, next generation. I was like, yeah, yeah, this could be a Pepsi commercial. So I started out with that um, for the Pepsi commercial. But then, you know, when you're starting to write, actually, I wrote this one with Nick. This was, this was the first, I think, our first uh, collaboration we wrote. So I, I had the um, Say Next, Say Next, I had the hook. And I had I had the verses, but he started changing the chords here and there. You know, he was like changing the chords to make it. Cause I'm 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 a two chord guy, you know, or maybe a one chord guy. I, was, <laughs> I think I'm a one chord guy. And he would just change change the um the aspect of the song. So we worked it all out. And I just the thought the thought pattern again is me. You know, I'm always thinking about the conditions of mankind. Yeah. Um. I I have I have that um. I guess that's like uh, what would they call those things? Something in the what's the not the horseshoe, right? It's something like that limbo, right? But it's something that I always have in my background, like because because of my relationship with um, let's say with white people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, my my relationship because always I'm always. It's like I'm between two worlds. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know what I mean? My, how I was brought up and how I live. I'm always caught between that two two lines there. Like, damn, you know, I, I see the atrocities that white people do to black people. I see the reaction of black people, you know, how they feel. But I'm like, damn, why can't we just, you know, you know, see it for what it is. It's not, it's not them. It's, it's the people above us, man, that's it's, it's causing all of this drama here. Mm-hmm. And they just they just have their hands like puppet masters, and they and they do it, and they excite you, and make you get angry, and make you go through all of this shit. It's not like the common man. They're, and then stuff that happens on the street level, then it just it just blows over the to media, and the media blows it up, and it's, then it's like you know you start seeing the pictures of like it's the '60s all over again. It's like ridiculous. So I always have that those kind of thoughts about you know how man could be and hoping that this would be better when we get a little older yeah when you um when you re- when you released the video of it uh in 2015 yeah. that was a reaction though to the as as these sort of um police beatings were becoming more public right yeah it was like what the hell we we released it um only because most people <laughs> I mean, I got some comments from some friends and like, they were like, yo, dude, that song is powerful. But they've been dancing that song for like 20 years mm-hmm. and never really realized what I was saying. Like, they was like, yo, I didn't even know what you were saying back then. All I heard was Next Generation and like, it was a Scar song we were skanking and we would, we would drink. So, they, you know, for me to write a song is to leave a piece of myself behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I wrote, um, I wrote this song for my son. It's called One Day. It's on our first record. Because um, normally, um, 
well in my when in my community you, you don't live past the age of 25 27 pushing it i was told i was going to be killed by 17 this is by an adult he told me that i was going to be killed by 17 or or in jail that was the path that he thought i was going to be taken and whatever path i was on at the time so i wanted to put i wanted to make a statement to make sure that you know my son knew that his pops wasn't really a knucklehead he just had knucklehead tendencies <laughs> it's a fine line. <laughs> it's a fine line. <laughs> it's a fine line. I read an interview that you did once where you said that um you know you had a you were on a mission to unite black and white people. Yeah, I mean you see what I'm saying, right? The the yeah. worlds that I that I live in because I've always like like you you'll hear me in England. I sound totally different because my my circles is all aristocrats. Like really, um, it's not hood; it's aristocrat. So, and then I come over here. I'm hood. You know, it's just, the dichotomy <laughs> is crazy. Like seriously, like I was telling, I was telling a friend of my mom's the other day when I was in London. I was like, you don't understand. You know, I go over there, and there's this preconceived notion about me already when I go around my mom. That they don't know me, but they they know some of my siblings, and they're not as kind to my mom as you know all loving that as they should be but they're just they're just finding themselves too but me now i get all of the backlash because they don't know me they're just figuring i'm just like everyone else that's around her so i was like you guys i said i, I know because i i had to bury my mother um 2017 and i had to i had to you know i was there i was there for the journey thank thank god i was i had the privilege of spending all that time with her and just, you know, walking her through the whole pearly gates. And mm. um and I and I, you know, after like two years I went well maybe three years, I went back to England and I saw her friends and I was like, I and we, we sat and we met at this cafe. I said, I know you guys don't know me and I said, I know you already had preconceived notions about me because when I was around there was there was all this kind of uh you know, you you felt like you, you didn't you weren't supposed to be here. You know, I, I I could feel the warmth from my mom, of course, but those people, it was like, mm, here he comes, you know, like circling like I'm like I'm like I'm circling like a buzzard, waiting to pick off her bones, you know. I got that vibe from them, and I, and I told them, I was like, yeah, I know you guys had this preconceived notion of me already. I said, but you you really don't know the relationship that she and I had, you know. I would talk to her all the time via phone, whether I'm in England or not. So they they didn't know the closeness that we were, you know. When she she um she had an appendicitis one time and i was like oh, you know she didn't know what it was she just like oh i'm going into the ambulance and you know that time we was using blackberries i'm like okay okay you're going into the ambulance then i get the next text oh i'm going into the theater I'm like what the hell you're in the ambulance and you're going to the theater okay then i said something in my my, my head said think english mark yeah think english theater Oh, she's gone to the operating room. I jumped on that damn plane. And I was like, yo, I got to get back to England right now. But they don't understand. They didn't understand the closeness of her. So going back there, I'm like, okay, I'm proper. I'm very English. I'm very aristocratic. Then I come over here. What's good, my dude? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just... I said, and I told him, I was like, you, you guys don't really understand where where I'm coming from. I know, and you have all these notions, but you, you, you know now, 
You know now. I mean, we all kind of inhabit those different worlds where you have to code switch and uh, talk different, talk different depending on who you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, someone some will understand someone because not everyone is, has that opportunity to switch. You know, bro. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I was a, when I was a kid and I was telling this dude I was going to England. He's like, "Damn, man." <laughs> 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 it's, it's sad right it's, it's sad right but he was like damn man i wish i could go somewhere oh. but all he knows is here yeah all he knows was here and the hood couldn't there was no place for him to get out to go see a family member everything was right there in the hood so i i knew i was i had a privilege you know yeah, yeah. I, I had a privilege even when i was denied the privilege I had a privilege because I came from somewhere else. I saw things differently. You know, I could see the trappings and escape the trappings, you know, where others was just like in deep, couldn't see it. It's just what it was. Yeah. I want to ask about, um, so the Pilfers, your second record, you guys got signed to Mojo. Yes, we did. I'm really, I've always been really curious about that because the other bands on Mojo were Real Big Fish, Goldfinger, Cherry Pop, and Daddies. Mm-hmm. All successful. And then, yeah, well, aside aside from maybe how big they were, um, just sound-wise, Pilfers to me doesn't quite... Was it doesn't fit? Doesn't quite fit. I, I, I think what it was, we were being um, cheered, cheered by Real Big Fish. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I got to give it to them. Um, because they saw us and they saw the response of the audience to us. They saw us um, in New York and we opened up for them and the crowd swarmed the stage. And this was our, this is, it was so, so new in our, um, in our forming, we didn't even have a CD. We just had cassettes selling. And he was like, um, he sent over his booking agent, which later on became our manager. And he goes, um, Randy goes, yo, uh, Real Big Fish wants to, they're going on a warp tour and they want to take you on tour after they come off the warp tour. I'm like, all right, cool. He said, you got a CD? I said, no, but we will by that time. So there was a race to make a CD. <laughs> ah. and, and I tell you, it, it was all, it's, it's, it's a combination of um, every other ska band that hadn't been signed that helped us along the way. Yeah and real big fish that got assigned that's good i mean that, that's that's awesome i mean they're they were a very poppy band and uh but aaron he's a champion of of i would say not just a champion he has an eye for talent mm-hmm. yeah and he's very supportive he's very supportive to all new bands old bands he liked that may not have gotten the, the um the right shine He's just like, yo, I love this music and I want you guys to come on tour. That's anybody. That's not just myself. That's like anybody who he likes and he wants them to come on tour. It's not, it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is my old friend. I'm a, you know, I want them to come on tour with me. It's like he goes outside of his own his own circles to bring people in. He's That's great. Good dude. Good dude. So, okay, so you have this new record, Days Gone By. It's Is this the uh, official debut Cooley ranks full length. Yes. Okay. 
Was this something that was in the works for a long time? Or I'm curious what led to this. COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Goddamn COVID. (laughs) There's got to be a silver lining to it. This can be it right here. There there is definitely, listen, COVID, um, I've had songs, right? And I I made demos and I just, you know, this is before the age of digital. Mm -hmm. I made demos and I had songs. but, and I was going to put out a, you know, a solo project and like years ago. And I like, nah, I never had to because I had my music from Pilfers, right? But during COVID, um, I was able to get my hand on my old hard drive, which was destroyed. But I got some nice COVID bread and I sent it to a, a place where I could retrieve all of my information. Thank you, COVID. Oh, and it worked? <laughs> Every time I know somebody's done that, it hasn't worked. It worked, man. It worked like a chump. And I heard songs that I hadn't heard in like years. So I revisited a bunch of those songs. I brought in new musicians, played some music over it, brought in singers. And then, you know, I also had recorded some new songs, which I was going to put out. So we went back in the studio. I revisited those songs. Um, Then I sent it off to someone else that could actually mix them to perfection. I sent it off to John Avila, Avila, Avila. Uh-huh, yeah. Same guy that mixed um, Chihuahua Lang from Ongo Bongo. Yeah. I, I called him, I begged him, I was like, John, I'm sorry, John, for this screwing up your name. Um, um, I begged him, I was like, yo, John, could you mix mix these songs for me? You know, of course I had some COVID money, so I was like, yo, I got some money, but it definitely, I didn't have that crazy, you know, like $100,000, $150,000 budget again. So I'm like, John, can you just do mix this one? So I, you know, I made sure I paid him. I paid him on time. And um, he mixed my songs and he got me a great master, a guy that's master songs. And he mastered the crap out of it. His name is Ian. <laughs> His name is Ian Sefchik. Chick. Sefchik. And he um he works for like Capital or used to or whatever, but he's like top notch, right? And I gave it to him and he, ugh, after John gave me the mixes, I was loving the mixes. But after I got the masters, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, having an orgasm over here. I was like, oh, oh my God. It's cool. <laughs> I was loving it. Screaming your own name. So... I got them back and I was so excited. I mean, I just did a video, my first video too. I just did a solo video and it's it's gonna be released with the with the um single. Wait, which song? And incredible. Incredible. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it's it's um I mean I've never I was always fearful of doing videos because I thought I would look stupid. I don't know if I don't think I look stupid in this one. I mean, the public will tell me. There might be some parts that I look stupid, but I don't think <laughs> I look stupid How how do you film it, the video? Um, cameras. I mean, did, did you get like a friend film it, or did you get like somebody who you had already done something that you really liked? Yeah, I, I got a I got a friend that actually does um film it, like All video right. and stuff. What's your friend's name? You gotta give a shout out. Come on, I just, I just call him Mike D. Shout out, Mike D. <laughs> <laughs> Not the other Mike D though. This Mike D. His real name is Mike Demato. Nice Demateo. Yeah, I just call that Mike D. It's very easy. 
And so the, the video shoots just you and him filming you? No, 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 no. Did some other he stuff. Had, he had he had um two other he had one other camera shooting me and right. another guy who was like um he was directing something. So there was a couple of you know, he had he had his crew with him. Nice. And they, and, and I and I said to him on the video, um so everyone gets their credit because I, I don't want to leave anybody out because it can be a very sticky business. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they don't get money, credit is always important. is more important as, as it's more important than money. I think if you get your credit, you know, just like, yo, this is the guy that held the camera. This is the guy that said, stop, go ahead. Everyone should get their credit. So yeah. I made them, I made them put their credits on the on video. And I made them put the musicians' credits on the video too, kind of like how they do it at the end of the films. Yeah. So I want I want to make sure everybody gets that. So you know you don't see that on videos. You're just like, yeah, I'm a star. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I thought you know if you have when it's when it's closing, just run their names on it and give them the credit. Nice. So you you're um you know you're you're advertising the album as Ragacore, which I love by the way. I love the term. Is this have you been using that term for your music for a while? I've been using it for forever since since Pilfers. Yep, and if everybody anyone who tries to take it, uh, just know I trademarked it, so don't try. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you paid up on your protection money, then maybe. <laughs> Unless you paid up on your protection money, because we will extort you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash in defense of Scott. You will get monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the In Defense of Scott Discord. In Defense of Scott would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.
Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.